we're starting with a ask science question from Reddit uh, from user, I think it's Silstone, Slystone, S-L-Y-S-T-0-N-E. Mm-hmm. And the Reddit user asks, uh, if my 60 gigabyte phone is full or empty, is there a difference in weight at the nano level? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. I uh, I think like we've all kind of heard, diff- or a lot of people have heard different versions of this question. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to get a little more specific with it. And I think, okay. I think, well, like, because I was trying to talk this over with some people and we we're kind of running into different ideas and thoughts about it. So I think the easier thing is to like rephrase this question first. And try and okay. get it like with the heart of what I think the person's asking. Um, okay. So like, I think kind of in general, what they're asking is like, does data have weight? Does memory have weight? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with, for us, I think we should focus on like a, the most common form of memory that we see in our daily lives, which would be like an SD card, USB stick or SSD, you know, flash uh, mm-hmm. memory some sort of like solid state memory yeah um, yeah not a platter drive not like tape or something like that yeah there's i mean we can talk about uh like hard drives hard disk drives or something and i think that's also an interesting one to cover or same with like magnetic tape but you know we all well at least in the united states we all have phones pretty much um and we all have computers and this is just the main form of memory and all of that um mm-hmm. at least in 2018 the reason I want to take the whole phone out of it um, is with a phone, we kind of end up getting a full system of things that we have to consider. And, you know, like the battery and um, the energy and that and that sort of thing. And I kind of wanted to just separate the the memory system from from everything else. So that's why I was thinking it's probably easier to talk about an SD card first. Right, I see. So, is an SD card? You know, they said sixty gigs. I don't know if the amount of data matters, but let's say you know some some size SD card is empty. Does that have a different weight than if it was full? Yeah, uh, or mass maybe. Oh, I th- yeah, I know. I hesitated on that word, but I think we're gonna assume it's on Earth. So, yeah. if the mass changes, the <laughs> weight changes. You um, know, we could work out what that is. Right. So, I think. The, uh, my, my, you know, if you've never studied physics or anything, you might ask like, how does this question even make sense? Right. Um, I have a feeling like you could answer that question. Like why, why, why is this a valid question to ask? Why does it like, why would we even try to answer it? (laughs) I don't know. You asked me or you alluded to the fact that you wanted to talk about this on the podcast a while back. And I told you. I, I saw the question and I clicked on it, but I didn't read all the answers. But I did see that the first, like, most upvoted answer was not what I thought. It was the opposite of that. So, <laughs> yeah. My my initial thought, I, I mean, it's a yes or no question. And my answer is no, it doesn't change mass. But I could be wrong. Um, I don't really know. So, why wouldn't it change mass? I don't no i mean it's you're you're flipping a bit so like does your light switch change when you like the mass of your switch change when it's in the up or the down position that's how i'm interpreting it and i realize there has to be some electricity that flows to actually make it an, a one or a zero 
and maybe the electrons being stored, but it's still part of a circuit. And I don't know that there's any like capacitance that would actually lead to more or fewer electrons being within, like it, sh- it should still be a neutral device charge wise. Yeah. So that's, I think that's, that's kind of the heart of the matter. I think that's where it gets, mm-hmm. where it's interesting when I started looking into it. Um, Cause yeah, I think there's kind of two ways we could potentially add mass, right? And that's through mm-hmm. adding actual matter, like you were suggesting, like electrons or mm-hmm. something else, um, mm-hmm. or potentially energy. Since okay, yeah, Einstein's okay. equivalence that, principle, right? And that, and I, I still, um, I'm processing something in my head, but just um, quick thought is that I don't know what the difference is between a bit being a zero or a one. And are we, are we taking into account thermal energy? Because that's going to dissipate eventually. Like, is this like a, I guess like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Is it an equilibrium? Like has, has the, the bit flipping happened and now we're just let this thing cool off to whatever temperature it is. Yeah, yeah I know, think after so. It's been sitting for a long time. We're not taking into account like re- resistive heating because of all the current that goes into flipping all the bits. Right? I'm, it's I, like, I'm not, no. <laughs> yeah, because it definitely will warm up when it's initially being flipped. But, you know, and everyone has a thumb drive. They can do this, like write a bunch of data to your thumb drive. It's going to warm up a lot. That USB port gets really warm. Um, but I, I don't think that's what they're talking about. It's yeah. like the the steady state, the the equilibrium state. Right. Yeah, I think I think that's that's it. And you're kind of like you've alluded to a few things that I think maybe we should go uh, a little more in depth on, you know, talking about bits mm-hmm. and ones and zeros and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. So uh, in general, I think it'd be useful to talk about, you know, like, OK, like what is memory? How is it stored? Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you and I both know data. We, we store it in a binary system. That is, we usually say it's a one or a zero. Mm-hmm. And and that's a very it's really just the abstract notion of of, of a physical thing, um, right? And uh, one can mean a lot of different physical things, and a zero can mean a lot of other physical things. So mm-hmm. you, this is just an abstraction, and then we'll get down to the specific of an SD card. Good. I might I might need help on that because I'm not super clear on it. I know I've looked it up and I've seen so many YouTube videos, but I guess nothing's ever stuck. <laughs> enough to where I could say how much how, how it works exactly at this point. So yeah, <laughs> we'll see what you say. Yeah. So data stored is ones and zeros, and then the 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 kind of the unit or the cell, I guess, that can be the one or a zero. I think that's usually what we'd call a bit, mm-hmm. right? Um, so you know, uh, just for everyone, uh, there's like a bit is a one or a zero, and then eight bits is a byte. And, you know, then from there, we get to all the stuff that we know, like our 60 gigabyte uh, SD card that we're talking about is really 60 times, well, 60 times a mil- billion it's giga. Yeah, billion. 60 times a, a billion times eight bits. Yeah, that's a lot of data, obviously, and such a small thing like what it's got to be on the scale of atoms or maybe a few atoms. What? So remind me, what is in the... SD card that's actually storing the memory is it it's a transistor of some sort right like it's it's something that is flipped on or off with voltage but what i don't really remember is how it store how it saves that after the voltage is turned off right right 
so you're getting just a hair ahead of me. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. You're seeing where I'm going. Um, yeah. And uh, if this wasn't a podcast, I would just jump there with you. But um, <laughs> All right, let's, since let's take the listeners on a journey. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've <laughs> promised uh, friends this podcast for a while and I'd, I want to let them go on the ride. <laughs> okay. Cool. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're, since you already understand a lot of this, you, you're kind of jumping down the road, but uh, <laughs> it must be right. So we have a bit and we must physically store this, some, th- this information somehow, um, you know, uh, like on, off, up, down, left, right, charged, mm-hmm. uncharged, you know, something like that, where it can only mm-hmm. be this thing or that thing. There's no in between with these things. And we have to do that in a physical thing. So like a, a hard disk drive is magnetic spins, right? Like domains really on a right. um, drive, but it's, it's a little different for, and that's just one example, one way to, we could do it. Um, and then the other thing, so in order for this to be memory, it has to be binary like that. And then it also has to last a long time, at least this type of memory, an SD card, right? You don't want it to be when you unplug it, it dies like your RAM does. Or uh, you don't want to, you know, you save all your data on there. And then a year later, you come back and you put it in and it's all corrupted because it didn't last, right? So those are kind of the two conditions. It has to be binary and it has to last a long time. So how do we do that? I'll add a third one. Oh, yep. And that it has to be rewritable. Like you have to be able to erase it and rewrite it essentially infinitely many times. Yeah. Because, I mean, I could make a, I could make some solid state storage with stones and, and a hammer and chisel, but that's not going to be useful that's to be true. rewritable. That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So what do we have? We have binary system uh, in order for it to be a bit. It has to last a long time and it must be, uh, well, yeah, read, readable or writable and erasable mm-hmm. and readable. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, okay. So, uh, the, the SD cards they use FETs. Now th- this part, I, so I have all this information here and I feel like this is where, <laughs> uh, you can kind of jump in and, sure. um, I do know a little bit about solid state devices. Um, probably not as much as I should or as much as I would like to, because I do always have to look it up. I forget. Yeah. FET field effect transistor. Right. And and so I have essentially a bunch of like very high when I say high, I mean like more on the abstract level, not deep into the physics um stuff here. And I feel like okay. uh you I I tried to think of good like analogies to kind of like mm-hmm. have have it make sense. I didn't come up mm-hmm. with anything great. So I think that's where you're gonna be. <laughs> so I can I can can I talk about a transistor and yeah. then you jump in and, and steer me towards the field effect and like memory storage part of it. All right, please do. Um so a transistor, um, if we think of not solid state, but the old like valve as the British would say, or tube, like amplifier stuff that we have. Um, Basically, it is something that is put to a really high voltage and warmed up. And we talk about a piece of metal warmed to the point where the electrons literally boil off. Like this piece of metal is so hot, it's just leaking electrons into the air around it. So it's boiling electrons off. Those electrons... You know, they kind of repel each other, but they wouldn't really go anywhere without an applied electric field 
And that electric field you set up with um, an opposing piece of metal at a different voltage. And so all these electrons boil off one piece of metal and then fly through space like a little gap into hitting the other piece of metal across a tube, like a vacuum tube. So it's an evacuated chamber. Um, electrons are flying from one needle, essentially, that's really hot to another needle. And that's just a current. So you set up a circuit with current flowing through the air. Um, what you can do is set up an extremely small signal, a really small voltage um, in the middle of that. And that is connected to like a, a screen. Imagine like a metal grate or like a small metal screen in between the two needles. So there's electrons flying through the air and then you put a screen in the middle and you can apply a voltage to that to either attract the electrons so it won't reach the other side of the, the other needle and complete the circuit or it won't attract the electrons. They fly through the gate unimpeded essentially and do complete the circuit. So that's your one and your zero state is apply a little voltage to a screen and then that big voltage that's flying through the air, um, the signal that you're applying to the gate gets amplified. So if, if you're sitting here um, with a guitar and it's sending a signal that's pretty low, not a really loud electrical signal, to the, to the screen that's in between the two needles, um, that, that signal from the guitar gets amplified by that huge current that's flying through the air. So every time a string goes up, the voltage on the gate goes high and that attracts the electrons and prevents the current flowing through the circuit. And every time the string goes low, it turns off the voltage to the gate and lets the current flow through. So if a string's going up, down, up, down, up, down, that frequency gets transmitted to the electrons going across that air gap and they're going to turn on and off, on, off, on, off. And that's going to be your, your, your basically your tube amplifier. But that's, that's all not solid state. That's all like basic electronics and, and vacuum tubes and these glowing kind of look like light bulbs inside a guitar amp. But that's, that's a transistor. That is what it is. Um, now, getting into solid state, what I understand is instead of electrons flying through the air gap between two, you know, really hot needles, essentially, you have a semiconductor that has the ability to um, let electrons travel through it, but you need a way to turn that electron transferability um, instead of using a technical term that I can't think of right now, conductivity, I guess, um, instead of letting them, the electrons move through the semiconductor, what you do is you bring in another piece of metal um, and touch it to that semiconductor, and that will essentially act like the screen in the air gap, and it'll, it'll either turn up the conductivity and let electrons flow or turn down the conductivity and prevent electrons from flowing. And it's the same thing, a really low voltage on that little um, piece of metal in the middle of the semiconductor um, can be amplified to a large voltage recurrent flowing through the semiconductor on off, on off, on off. That's just switch. So that's basically a transistor, like amplifying a signal. And so here's where I need you to jump in and say, how does that lead to memory? Right. Uh, so just before we get there, I think I'm going to add in some, some terms here that, that might, okay, good. might help as well. So yeah, there's three parts to this type of transistor that we're talking about. There's a source, a drain mm -hmm. and a gate. Yeah. Which good. I think, so like the source in, in your example is, you know, the piece of metal that's boiling off the electrons, mm -hmm. the drain, that's the source of the electric, yeah. electric, yeah, the, the electrons. 
uh, the drain is the other end where the electrons are, are going, the, where they're ending up. Mm-hmm. And the right. gate is that thing in the middle that's allowing them to go through or not go through. Right, right. Yeah, so, yeah, perfect. And um, it gets more complicated with the semiconductor in that they're not just electrons. There can be holes, so there's different charges. You know, instead of negative electrons, it could be positively charged holes that could be flowing. So I don't want to just say the source is where the electrons come from because right. that's not necessarily true. Right, yeah. And you can actually have... Uh, transistors that flow from drain to source as well mm-hmm. um okay so i mean generally i think the, i think the right term to say is is you have one end where you have a charge carrier that moves to the other end um and then there's a gate in between that's allowing that charge carrier to move or not move in between the two mm-hmm. um, but yeah. for for the sake of consistency and just you know keeping it on track let's just use source as the charge carrier source and and we'll just mm-hmm. pick electrons um and then uh drain as as where the electrons end up but just know that yeah it it can be positive holes or it can flow the other way but f- for just moving on we'll talk about sources the source drain is the drain and gate is the thing in between cool cool um yeah so in in that current setup you can't have this uh, non-volatile memory. It, uh, that's not enough to do uh, what we want. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, we, you said we have the binary system now. We have the on-off ability. Right. Um, whether mm-hmm. that gate's open or closed, we can think about it maybe as... Yeah, but I should add, it's not it's not strictly binary. It is analog. Like oh, you, you can get you, your voltage, you know, your your amplified signal can go between you know zero and one, and you can get you know a half because yeah, that that gate attracts some electrons, not all of them. Some still get through. So yeah, yeah, it's still it's still not not quite digital. But it, you you can see how it could be digital if you're just your your instead of a, a guitar string going up and down you apply a voltage or you apply no voltage and there's your digital right yeah i think uh uh a lot of times yeah it's it's once you reach a certain threshold of mm-hmm. of current or voltage yeah that, that's when you say okay now it's on so you might have a little bit of right. leakage um or uh not just leakage you know but you might it might be on a little bit but we we'll say ah, right. we're not going to count that because it's not enough it's like we're not purposefully doing it <laughs> right right um at least in this application there's so many more applications for fets than mm-hmm. uh you know what we're going to cover but yeah so I, sh- I should add the fet the field effect transistor so i described the transistor like the valve the tube but the field effect thing is put a little piece of metal on the in the middle of your semiconductor the electric field that that piece of metal produces when a voltage is applied to it that affects the electrons flowing across the semiconductor so it's it's like the electric field penetrates into the semiconductor so that electric field affects the transistor or the the semiconductor part that's your fet yeah it actually uh for your uh was it enhancement type uh uh, FET, it'll, when there is an electric field present is when you will form this channel and you'll allow electrons to flow from source. Okay. To, to drain. Okay. Um, I kind of remember that you, you like push things away and then it opens up space for the electrons to flow. Exactly. Like yeah. Yeah. You'll yeah. create a, uh, you know, you have, 
essentially two, I mean, to get a little technical, you know, the body is made up of a, a P channel, P doped, mm-hmm. not P channel, P, right. P type, uh, P type, yeah, silicon. Um, mm-hmm. and then you have two areas where the source and the drain are that aren't connected, uh, of N type silicon. And then, uh, the gate sits in between them. And when the field forms, it pushes holes away from it, I believe. Right. Um, and then that connects the two N types together and allows electrons to flow through them. Right. That's right. Um, it's all coming back. It's been a long time. So, uh, (laughs) Typically, I think most FETs that we see now are called uh, MOSFETs, which stands for mm-hmm. Metal Oxide Silicon? Semiconductor. No, semi- Metal Oxide Semiconductor. Yeah, yeah, field effect transistor. So what that just yeah. means is, you know, uh, between the body and the gate is a tiny layer of uh, metal oxide. I think it's usually silicon uh, dioxide. Um, mm-hmm. that's not, ke- not a conductor. It's like a little, little insulator gap yeah. between them. So electrons can't jump to the, the metal gate. So what they, what they developed to make this solid state flash drive is, uh, what's called a floating gate, uh, MOSFET. Um, and it, it pretty much looks exactly like a MOSFET where there's, you know, the source and a drain and a gate in between. Except there's not just one gate, but two uh, stacked on top of each other. And the so you got to imagine it's the body. uh, And and this is where like it gets technical. And I feel like there's probably a good analogy that we might be able to come up with. But um, so it'd be the body and then a layer of this silicon dioxide, this uh, insulator, then a, a piece of metal called the floating gate. And then some more insulator and then the control gate, which is the control gate is essentially the normal gate that we've been talking about so far. Hmm. Um, okay. And, uh, to give you the quick, let's jump to the end. We can talk about how it all works is, uh, uh, what happens is there's a, a way, uh, through, usually I think it's through a hot electron injection or hot carrier injection. Um, the electrons, when they're moving from source to drain, uh, you p- apply an electric field uh, on the, the control gate that pulls on the electrons. So as they're traveling from the source to the drain, they're kind of getting pulled towards the gate. Okay. And they'll actually tr- tunnel through uh, the thin metal oxide layer, the insulator, and jump onto the gate, the floating gate. And it's called floating because it's not connected to anything. It's completely surrounded by insulator. Huh. So it's 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 all quantum mechanical. Like the electrons literally quantum mechanically tunnel. Yeah. It's a chance that they're gonna jump across that gap and then they're gonna get trapped there. Yep. Like which kind of blew my mind that like in this everyday thing is quantum mechanics. Yeah. How come they don't tunnel back out? Like what what keeps them stuck in the floating gate? Uh, it's because you have to, you're accelerating them, uh, mm-hmm. with, from source to drain, um, really quick. So okay. they have to pick up, it's hot electron injection and hot electron. These aren't actually hot things. Like if you touched it, you'd be like, right. ow, it's right. hot, meaning it has a lot of kinetic energy. It's moving fast. Yeah. I think, 
I kind of remember talking about that, like they're ballistic electrons. Like you just like literally just fire them into the semiconductor yeah. from whatever piece of metal that's making the circuit. I yeah, I remember that. Stuff. I think it's I think it's yeah. along those lines. But as they're as they're traveling, so they have all this speed. You apply an electric field that pulls them up as well. So they they have some probability now because they have all this energy of tunneling. They're essentially you've raised their energy level. So and then once they tunnel through, their their energy drops dramatically. They're no lo, no longer hot electrons, and so they're just going to be sitting there trapped. Right. Got so it. you do this for a certain amount of time, changes depending on you know who makes the SD card and all that sort of stuff. But essentially what you do is you pile a bunch of electrons on this floating gate. And now they just get stuck there. It's like uh, it's a, a little electron pool. Mm-hmm. And now when you apply the voltage to the control gate to let the uh, electrons flow from source to drain, that that voltage gets screened by the electrons on the floating gate. Okay. So that voltage never actually reaches uh, the the body to make the channel. I see. So whether that floating gate is charged or not tells you whether or not uh, there there's memory there. That's your bit. It's if it's charged oh. or not charged. And that's how you read it. Is you you run electricity past it without without um, without the I forget what the names of the gates, but uh, without the gate there, that's going to attract the electrons. Say it's empty. Say that little reservoir is empty. Mm-hmm. It's possible that electrons could tunnel in there, but you're not giving them a reason to because you're not applying that other voltage to to move them into that channel. Right. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So they'll just flow from source to drain like normal. And then when you mm-hmm. see that current come out the other end, you go, oh, okay. I, I am. That's actually when the gate is the when the little well, the reservoir is not mm-hmm. charged. That's a a yeah. one because you can get huh. current through. Okay. And then right, when right. when it does get charged, you cannot pass current anymore because the electric field won't reach. Uh, so the the you know the field effect doesn't reach the uh channel, and so it never mm-hmm. opens up. And so mm-hmm. you can't pass. So you try to pass current through and you go, did I get any? And it says, no. Okay, that's a zero then. Right. And then Got it. because you have this chunk of metal that's surrounded by insulator with these elect- not hot electrons, um, mm-hmm. they, they're stuck there. They can't go anywhere. Right. So right. you can come back in 10 years and plug it in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, they're still there. And so when, when you want to clear it, or rewrite it or something like that, change a a zero, which means electrons are in the little trap, to a one, which means get rid of the electrons. You just apply a big electric field and it kicks them all out. Is that basically how it changes? Yeah, you apply a big electric field and uh, it's called Fowler-Nordheim tunneling. Um, Oh, I I remember those terms. Wow. Yeah, been a long time. (laughs) Yep, and it'll, it'll quantum mechanically tunnel through the oxide layer. Back into the body, and uh, you know, get absorbed into the material. And now you can essentially the electric field will pass through the metal again. Mm-hmm. The floating gate. I'm looking up a textbook I used to use when I was a grad student, and it was a really good one. And it explained all this stuff really well. And obviously, not well enough for me to remember it, but it's it's in there somewhere. Right. So. You know, to go back to the original question, or maybe we could just like 
or well, we can answer the question and maybe review if we need. But to go back to the original question, you know, does uh, does your sixty gigabyte phone or SD card is it heavier, lighter when it's full or empty? Well, I mean, it depends on what you mean by full and empty. Um, mm-hmm. To get in a little more technical detail, because really, when you write data, it's not all ones or all zeros. You know, it's some combination of ones and zeros. Um, mm-hmm. But essentially, is there a difference between the SD card being all zeros or all ones? And it, the answer has got to be yes, because you're adding electrons to the system. Got it. Okay. So there, there it is. It's a little bit more massive because there are electrons that weren't there before, and those electrons have mass. Huh. Yeah. And I... I tried to look up, you know, what the charges that you had to put to screen it, um, mm-hmm. to so I could figure out how many electrons are on that floating gate, and right. I couldn't figure out that information because otherwise, then we could have calculated, you know, how much heavier is it. Right, right. I've, I found the textbook that I, I used when I was a grad student. Um, it's main. There's two authors. The main one is Streetman, like S T R E E T M A N, Streetman. And Banerjee, B-A-N-E-R-J-E-E, Solid State Electronic Devices. It was, was a good book. It was like accessible. You probably needed, you know, needed to take quantum mechanics and then you could thumb through this book and get a lot out of it. It wasn't too difficult. It wasn't too technical. It was, it was a good, like, probably like late undergrad textbook but it's i think it's for electrical engineers and I, I didn't get into that stuff until grad school so good book two thumbs up yeah i got a little bit of it from um my book solid state physics with cattell but uh, oh yeah i i had a cattell class and it kind of touches on this stuff but this this treatment book is a lot better and goes into a lot more detail about devices in particular rather than just pnn type and then you know the the junctions and that it kind of stopped there. I mean, it talked about some different things, but yeah, this book was better. Yeah. So on a very like high, high, I feel like high is the wrong word. When I say high, I mean like I'm looking at it from really high. I'm seeing not a lot of the features of something. Mm-hmm. So from a high level, that's yeah. essentially, you know, the answer to that question, for, at least for an SD card. Right. So yeah, so it's not a neutral device. Those electrons came from the wall outlet that then connects to the computer or I guess charges the battery and then goes into the computer through the USB port or SD card reader. Right. And into the the thing. Yeah. So that's why I was, that's why I wanted to abstract the SD card out of the system. Cause I think if you said, does your phone change weight? Mm -hmm. I I think the answer is no. Cause those electrons are in the battery. Ah, uh huh. You know, and then they go and they get stored in your SD card. Um, right. So, you know, the whole phone, I don't think, at least in terms of this electron loss or not, doesn't change weight. Yeah. The charge of the battery probably does. but Right. So I guess we could say the mass of the universe doesn't change. Like charge is conserved. The charge came from somewhere. <laughs> right, yeah. But my, my false, my wrong reasoning for saying it doesn't change was because I was kind of imagining these FETs were like a light switch, like the charge moved from one part of the semiconductor device to another part of the semiconductor device. I couldn't remember where, like from where to where, but 
that that was what I was thinking as to why the answer was no. Is that it's all the same amount of charge. It's just it's just getting moved around like a light switch. It's just either in the up position or the down position. The the switch itself doesn't gain or lose anything. Right. Um, so yeah, actually, I have two two interesting thoughts to go go off of that. Um, mm-hmm. One is so yeah, I do you know I do think uh, yeah, if you were to answer the original question, I think you're you're dead on because of that very reasoning. Like your mm-hmm. your phone is just moving electrons around; they're not right. You know, um, and I mean honestly, if you put your SD card in your computer, like your computer essentially isn't really changing mass, but it's when you take it out of it, you know, that you've now separated it from the system. So that's why I wanted to <laughs> yeah. isolate that system so you can kind of, we can focus on what happens on it. I could answer it really easily. Your computer's heavier because it has an SD card in it and then it didn't have that before. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, along the same lines though, uh, you know, talking about not changing mass at all, uh, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't have a whole lot of info on this, so we could just spitball if you want. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think there's a interesting thing to d- be discussed with, uh, hard, di- hard drives, hard disk drives. Okay. I, I have another place we could take this, which is kind of an abstract thermodynamics place. Um, but let's go, let's go with, um, hard disk drives. Yeah. I, I mean, we don't have to go too far into it, but, uh, <laughs> do you, can, do you know, can you, essentially explain okay now that you know what well you already knew but now that we know what memory is do you can do you can you explain how a hard disk drive works i'm assuming you already know some background there um it's it's a little magnetic bit that has it's like a record player um with a needle but it's magnetized and then once it crosses a little place that it wants to write uh one or zero it applies a pretty strong magnetic field and it flips um the little magnetic domain on that area and then if it wants to read it it just applies a lesser magnetic field and it figures out if it's attracted or repelled from that area to see if it's a strongly magnetized region or not right that's basically my understanding of it yeah so yeah essentially you have yeah little regions called domains that are magnetized and they can either be just you know the for simplicity up or down and that's your, mm-hmm. you know, uh, up could be one and down could be zero, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I guess kind of the question, at least the, the, the um, just to score the surface of it for you is, okay, is that, is it changing mass or, or weight? So if, yeah, I guess. Okay. Does it change weight? Is there a way that it changes weight while you're doing this read, write process or let's write process? I don't think so. It's, it's, yeah, it's just flipping the polarity. It's be like, now it is actually a light switch or, or a bar magnet. You're just making it instead of oriented in one way, you grab it with your hand and rotate it on the tabletop. And now it's a different way. So right. it was a one with its North pole, you know, facing this one wall in your room and then you grab it and rotate it. And now the South pole faces that wall of the room. It doesn't change mass. It's just rotated. But what if I had two North poles and I tried to bring them close together, right? Cause you're not just flipping a single, I mean, you are flipping a single bit, but that bit's part right. of a system. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the neighboring bits, you're, you're making it not happy to be in that situation and you're kind of holding it there. Yeah. Hmm. So I, I think I think uh, 
a simple model that kind of discusses this and I don't know a whole lot about is the icing model. Yeah. Yeah. So icing model, from what I remember, the icing model is uh, there's different dimensions. So let's go one dimension because it's easy. Just imagine a string with a whole bunch of magnets evenly spaced on this string, like bar magnets. And um, you can imagine North Pole is repelled by other North Poles and attracted to South. So if you put a magnet next to another magnet, it wants to be flipped opposite. Like it wants to have a North Pole next to a South Pole. So adjacent magnets would line up. The ideal way would be um, alternating North up and then South up because they want to be attracted and close to each other, Um, which is what we would call anti-ferromagnetism. So if something's a permanent magnet, it's going to have all the North pointing in the same direction in that long string of magnets. And that's generally not favorable energetically, but there's some situations where it is. So that's when you get those permanent magnets when they have those situations. Um, and then, yeah, you can extend the icing model into like a 2d sheet with magnets in a grid. And then same thing, alternating is preferential preferred, the preferred orientation. And then, if everything's pointing in the same direction, it's not generally happy. It wants to flip every other one to make it more stable. Right. So, so okay. What if we had a a like well, I like the one D case. It's easy to imagine mm-hmm. your string of magnets, right? And mm-hmm. and whether when you you walk by, if whether it's north end towards you or south end towards you, is your one or your zero? Right. Right. So let's say you you had them in the the low energy, their preferred state you were saying where it was north south Mm -hmm. north south north south north south right you know and so on okay but what if now what if you flipped one or you flipped all the souths to north so it's now it's north 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 right is that changing the mass well i mean i i think there's some energy stored in there so i suppose (laughs) they're einstein yeah right that's what i i I don't know too much more (laughs) than that but i think right i think like you know if you want to get highly technical i think you got to say yeah because the energy levels of of that little system has gone up Mm -hmm. it's in a higher energy state yeah i think that's true so in some way, yeah, I'd gained mass, not through any additional matter like the other situation, but just because of the the increased potential energy, stored energy in that system. That stuff wants to get released somehow. Something's holding it up. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, I think that could be like a whole other conversation, or you could probably just look up any YouTube video right. about Einstein, and you will learn <laughs> about that. Right. Why that's the case. Right. So is a, a, a scrambled hard drive less massive than a, a zeroed out hard drive? Or I think it'd be the other way around, right? Scrambled would be... Oh, wait, no, you're right. You're right. Yep. I think so. I don't know if you can alternate the bits. Yeah, that'd be tough to do. <laughs> I'm sure you could like write a program somewhere that does it. Right. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't be like you normally saving data. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's that's kind of a whole computer science thing. Like we haven't really talked about, but you know, when you actually fill up one of these drives, is you are essentially making it uh, probably. I mean, I I don't know for sure, but I'm going to guess it's probably roughly around half ones, half zeros. 
Yeah, that's the most likely situation. You know, and then you're going to change a bunch of files and it's going to be completely different. You know, you erase some, you add some, and it's probably still, if it's full, half ones, half zeros. Like, so, you know, it, it depends on, I guess, what the empty state was. But, uh, yeah, I think like w- the, these whole conversations, we have to talk about these extreme cases where we turn everything into ones or zeros mm-hmm. or have it perfectly mixed. Are you familiar with Maxwell's demon? Do you know what that is? Not in in. I'll, I'll I'll say what I remember of it, and then maybe you can fill me in on everything. But it okay. It has to do with some sort of um, boundary, right? Where you can you only let certain, I think maybe energy particles through or something, and you could potentially cool something really cold or something along those lines. Kind of. It's, yeah, it, it was Maxwell of Maxwell's equations um, who studied a lot of thermodynamics and statistical mechanics um, looking or, or thinking of a way to violate the second law of thermodynamics, which is that entropy always has to increase. Otherwise, you're expending more energy than you're getting out to, to not have that happen. So he imagined a box of gas, and you can imagine just the air molecules inside moving around at various speeds you know some are fast some are slow if all of them all of a sudden get faster that's going to warm up the gas and if all of them get slower that's when the gas is colder so what he imagined was this demon he called it maxwell or he called the demon and now it's called maxwell's demon that watched the molecules and it could somehow you know had like a radar gun and could pick up the speeds of the molecules as they approached some barrier in the middle of the the box of gas so like a little a little door that the demon controlled and if he saw say fast molecules moving from the right to the left he would let that through and then if a slow molecule was coming he would close the gate real fast and in whatever you know fancy way you want to imagine that he could do that it it's just let's say it did that um so the rub is if he keeps doing that and watching them and fast ones get through slow ones don't they hit the wall and bounce back you all of a sudden have a situation where there's a whole bunch of fast molecules on the left side because they came from the right to the left and then slow molecules are stuck on the right side and so that means that the left side's hot and the right side's cold he's just separated the gas and made it into an entropy state that's lower than what it was before decreased entropy with no energy involved, ideal gates, you know, just as best you can imagine, um, ideal situation, whatever, whatever is powering his molecular speed reading abilities, you know, no energy expended. He's just letting ones through and then other ones not. And then all of a sudden you get a, a lower entropy state. So what's the rub where, how, did the entropy not actually go up or, or sorry, go down or was energy actually expended? Um, what, what do you think? Uh, um, well, I mean, I, you're, if you're, if you have some sort of, well, okay, wait, before, I, before I go off, have, isn't, isn't this essentially, uh, kind of like laser cooling? Um, I, I don't, think so i mean i guess because you're yeah that's like um atoms coming towards a laser being doppler shifting the the light from the laser a particular way and then you're leaving them behind no because that that physically requires cooling 
with energy. Like, I mean, like a refrigerator separates hot and cold. That's fine. It doesn't violate thermodynamics. It's uh-huh. just you're, it spend, you're spending energy to do that. Um, like the universe's entropy doesn't change. Right, right. Or sorry, uh-huh. it, you know, it, it continues to follow the second law. Uh, okay. Well, uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I feel like this does a demon creature, if they're opening and closing a gate, <laughs> does, I mean, isn't that going to have to take some sort of energy to do that? I think let, the original thought experiment was that it, it didn't. It was just an ideal situation, you know, however we can imagine that. I don't know what, but that that is not the solution. <laughs> there <laughs> um, is a solution, but it's not that. Uh, the solution, so by the way, second law is not violated. There's something else that needs to be taken into account, which Maxwell... I don't think came up with the answer. I think it took a while for someone like 50 years, 70 years until someone figured out what the actual issue was and how, and then and figured out a way to resolve this. Okay. Um, and to give you a hint, it leads into us thinking about energy changing with, with storage memory in a way. Um, yeah. The, I mean, nothing is, it, I don't, I'm, statistical mechanics is my worst subject by far. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not really like you don't have to know a lot to to answer this question but this is where it came up at least the first time i heard about it i mean isn't there there's some probability that a gas could go into that state naturally i mean not not likely mm-hmm. but it could it could so if it happened naturally yeah i could see okay well why would it be violating any physical laws. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't a clue. I mean, <laughs> I could throw out other, other random, you know, stat mech terms, you know, Gibbs right. free energy or no, 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 it's not, nothing or, like that. I have no idea. <laughs> like I couldn't. The, the rub is that the, the little demon character, he has to be recording all this stuff. So he has to keep track of what's happening. And that is the in- increase in entropy. That's, counterbalancing the decrease of the gas's entropy so basically shannon have you heard of shannon the engineer claude shannon i think he came up with the concept or you know worked out the details of information entropy information having entropy leading to a measurable amount of entropy so the the demon keeping track of all this stuff is increasing the information entropy meanwhile the gas itself is decreasing the thermodynamic you know, what we think of as classically thermodynamic entropy. So the fact that he has to log all this stuff and keep track of it, that's where all the entropy is going, essentially. So does that help us think about just information abstractly leading towards an increase in energy? And then, as we said before, making more mass because it has energy? I don't know, <laughs> but I thought it, it led to the same. My mind went there when I first read the question. It's like, are we getting into that kind of question of like just the information entropy is now leading to energy being in the system that wasn't there before? Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably a really great question that I'd have to talk to someone smarter than me <laughs> about. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because does does information have, have energy or like, you know, uh, does data have energy in the first place? I feel like, 
kind of, you got to say, well, I'm thinking of like your, you know, back to your stone idea. You can carve, you know, get a chisel and hammer out and carve some information mm-hmm. in stone. But, mm-hmm. uh, it's not like that stone has, you know, I don't think it's gone up in, uh, energy in any way. I mean, I, the, uh, or like, uh, like if you have a white blanket, you know, and then you, uh, uh, someone, someone makes a white blanket and someone else, uh, uh, what do you, sews or I don't know how you make blankets. What do you do? Crochets, uh, <laughs> uh, uh-huh. intricate pattern into the blanket. And there's some like information in the pattern. Like, I don't think the energy, there's an energy difference between the two, uh, blankets yeah I, yeah and i think it it leads to the risk of conflating entropy and energy which i don't want to do and i i don't really know the answer to that but that's uh, that's at least that's what i was thinking about when the first when i first read the question if if that's what the person meant or if that's where it, the answer could come from was so, thinking about something about information entropy yeah i th- I, so I'm, uh, well, here, here, think about this. Let's go back to the refrigerator. It decreases the entropy of the system, like being the refrigerated air and then the, the room's air, right? It separates cold and hot, where if you just had a fridge open for a long time and off, the air in the fridge and the air in the room would be the same temperature, but then close the door to the fridge and turn it on, all of a sudden you separate hot and cold, just like Maxwell's demon. But we can look at the pump and the coolant and all that stuff and be like, okay, well, it took more energy than we're pulling out of the, the, the hot air inside the fridge to make that happen, right? Right. So the whole energy of that air of the fridge, air of room system went up. And I, I think we could say the same about Maxwell's demon. As long as we take into account the fact that the demon had to record all the information that he had to to make it happen. So I think the energy of the system goes up by making why um, the entropy goes down due to energy being put into the system, and that energy comes from the demon doing the recording. The information entropy counteracts any any decrease in entropy of the of the gas. And I guess the equivalent would be like thinking about the fridge. The entropy of the universe still goes up, even though inside your fridge and your room it goes down because it it came from electricity. The electricity was come came from you know burning coal or something like that. So we get into the abstract, like how many layers removed is the entropy increasing? Maybe it's a few, but it still has to go up overall somewhere. Yeah, right. Like, uh, I think that's a common thing that people miss with with uh, the second law is the entropy of a system uh, can go down. That's the, that doesn't violate the law of, or of a, I don't know if the system is the right word of a, of a single like unit. Right. You can draw a boundary and have the entropy inside that boundary decrease. It just needs to increase somewhere that's in connection with that boundary. Like it has to go up somewhere else due to an interaction with that system. Right. Somewhere it had to, it had to go up somewhere. Yeah. So yeah, I guess, yeah, if you have your system, the thing you're looking at and the environment, everything else, the entropy of your system can go down, but then the entropy of the environment has to go up more than the entropy of your system went down. Yeah. Right. So somewhere it's always, always going up. So I think to recap, yeah, basically the solid state device 
gains mass because electrons are added to it. Like physically more electrons are on your flash drive when in memory is being written to it. So it's more massive or it's mass changes, at least whatever it thinks a one or zero is, but it's mass actually changes due to more or fewer electrons. And then a platter drive, magnetic drive, disc drive changes its mass because of the increase or decrease in potential energy between the magnetic domains how they're arranged on the disc affects things just through the equivalence principle with energy being stored in the system leading to a change in mass and then the last bit i don't know i didn't i don't really know what the connection was between maxwell's demon and the (laughs) memory except to say that information can be thought like reading and writing information can be thought as an exchange of energy as well so i think just in a fundamental thermodynamics way writing information leads to a change in energy which also leads to a change in mass yeah i i I think uh yeah i think kind of from if i'm taking away this correctly is it any any like real physical observable measurable thing based on on maxwell's demon and shannon is uh will have some change in energy to if the information is changing is that what it's kind of saying like like i, I, I think if we're if we're changing the entropy that has to be due to some sort of exchange of energy and the connection that shannon made with that information is entropy like like um yeah there is entropy associated with information itself i I guess what fundamentally yeah but i guess what i want to clarify maybe and maybe this is another podcast um but is (laughs) what is information because like uh you know imagine uh i i found a book written you know in chinese and Mm -hmm. like it's filled with information and to me it's useless it has no it's it's not information to me it's it's scribbles because i can't read chinese um so i i don't think when they we're talking about information we're not talking about that kind of information are we i think there's there's a you know we're talking more about like like a a i think we're talking about binary information like which the quick um definition how many yes or no questions do you need answered to completely capture whatever you're describing so say i tell you i have a royal flush in poker how many yes or no questions does it take to identify exactly what hand i have oh uh yeah i mean i i'd have to sit down to think about that but let's see oh okay i mean i could ask you uh you know is it hearts and you'd say yes or no is it clubs is it spades right is it diamonds i guess those are the only possibilities for that hand yeah so you you, that would be three questions because you know by the end you don't have to ask the last one because you already know what it is if if i say no to everything and there's only one question right you got it right but you can actually do it in two questions you can say is it red oh and then they would say no and then you say okay is it spades and then they say no and then you know it's the clubs right so that that is two questions worth of entropy whereas if i say i have a pair how many yes or no questions until you get my hand of poker? Right. So we can, yeah, get the same number of questions to get the suit. But then, yeah, now we have to ask all these questions. Well, not only out. that, you have to get all the, you have to get the three other cards also. 
because it's it's oh, the pair oh, that's two. But the, gotcha. you, yeah, to get to describe the entire state of you know the hand of poker. So for your Chinese book, you know maybe you don't know the best optimal questions. That, that was a great example because you said oh, I got, I can do it in three, but maybe someone else can do it in two. So just because you don't know Chinese, somebody else could figure out the optimal questions to describe that book entirely in terms of yes or no questions. And that's the one or zero amount of entropy of that book in, in terms of ones and zeros. Ah, I see. Okay. I, I feel like this should be a whole little podcast. <laughs> I mean, just entropy, an yeah, episode on entropy, entropy in general. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, I think that's a, uh, a thing people don't really know about. I mean, right. A lot right. of physicists <laughs> that I know, right. Don't, have like a great intuitive understanding. I mean, I don't clearly yeah. of what entropy is. Um, you know, everyone says, Oh, but it's chaos or it's you know, oh, uh, yeah. Disorder measurement yeah. of disorder. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I think your question of, well, what is information? I think that's like a, <laughs> that's a fundamental question of the universe that I don't think people agree upon or, you know, some people think there is no quantum fields. There's, you know, no, gravity at the at the bottom of everything it's just the information the ones and zeros like we live in a digital universe like that's it I, I don't know i don't even know what that means but that's i know some people think about physics and cosmology that way well we should we should learn about it and tell everyone else <laughs> sure yeah uh there's a good book we can do some homework i've read it and i probably need to reread it because i didn't understand it but do you know who max tegmark is uh yeah uh He's been on uh, Sam Harris's podcast, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. Um, but he has a book called, I think it's called Our Mathematical Universe or The Mathematical Universe. I don't know, something about mathematical universe. And he, he argues that at the bottom of every everything physical is just mathematics. And he gets kind of into the information entropy of the universe kind of thing. It's a good book. Uh, yeah, I, yeah be down to I definitely it. need to reread it before I talk about it on the podcast because I didn't really understand it. So, <laughs> um, uh, as yeah, as an aside, since we're talking about books, I got to meet Sean Carroll the other day. Oh, really? Yeah, well, that's that cool. Cool. <laughs> nice. Uh, where, where was that? At UCSB, he came and gave a, a talk uh-huh. um, about uh, how gravity might arise from quantum mechanics, um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I, I ran into him briefly uh, the next day, and you know, I was like, "Oh, what do I say to Sean Carroll?" I have like, you know, <laughs> it was just like him and me in a stairwell. I was like, oh, "I gotta, you know, say something." Like, yeah. Uh, and I was like, uh, "Is there any way I could get you to sign an audiobook? How do we do that?" Because <laughs> all I have is audiobooks of his. I don't have any yeah. of his physical copies. Sign your phone or something. Yeah. <laughs> He was like, I think you should just buy one of my real books. Yeah. <laughs> or, or was it you? Somebody told me they met Griffiths from like E&M book and Quantum book and had the like international copy from like Indonesia. You know, it looks like all weird brown pages and different cover. And they met him and had him sign that copy and he was not happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That wasn't uh, you, right? That was somebody no, else. No, it was not me. Yeah, <laughs> I got I got Shankar's autograph on his quantum book when he gave a talk at Santa Cruz when I was there. Oh, that's cool. He spelled my name wrong, but that's okay. 